Welcome to Live Yes with Arthritis from the Arthritis Foundation. You may have arthritis, but it doesn't have you. Here, you'll learn things that can help you improve your life and turn no into yes. This podcast is for the growing community of people like you who really care about conquering arthritis once and for all. Take a moment to subscribe to, rate, and comment on Live Yes with Arthritis wherever you get your podcasts and never miss an episode. Our hosts are arthritis patients Rebecca and Julie, and they're asking the questions you want answers to. Listen in. Welcome to the Live Yes with Arthritis podcast. I'm Rebecca, an occupational therapist living with rheumatoid arthritis and osteoarthritis. And I'm Julie, a JA patient who's passionate about making sure all patients have a voice. Thanks for joining us on the Live Yes with Arthritis podcast. Today, we're talking about arthritis and how to find information you can trust and information you can understand, how to decipher that. Our special guest today is going to help us weed through all of the clutter. It is so important to have a good true north when you're navigating medical information. And our special guest today, Dr. Arifa Casaboy, is the chief medical editor and vice president of medical affairs with the Everyday Health Group. So she could not be a better qualified subject matter expert to help us weed through this topic. She is a board certified internal medicine doctor and health communications professional with expertise in the digital health media industry and a background in public health. Dr. Arifa trained at Emory University and has clinical experience in multiple practice settings, including telemedicine, as well as private, government, and nonprofit clinics. Dr. Arifa, thanks for joining us in this discussion today. We're so excited to talk to you about how to find information that we can trust. Can you tell us a little bit about who you are and where you come from? Sure. Thank you for having me. I am a primary care doctor with a master's in public health, and I'm really interested in health education, and that's guided my career over the years. So at Everyday Health right now, I am chief medical editor and vice president of medical affairs. I help them create content from ideation all the way through launch, whether it's articles, videos, tools, mobile app, that whole spectrum of content that people who are listening to this podcast right now would really find beneficial. Very similar to some of the content that the Arthritis Foundation would do, but this is over all general health topics. In the past, I was at WebMD and at Medscape. WebMD, very similar. (laughs) Medscape is professional facing, so I helped translate medical topics to primary care doctors there. So are you currently practicing in a clinic setting? So I am practicing very little. I do some telemedicine and I volunteer at a public health clinic in Atlanta, but mainly this is my uh, full-time job. Awesome. Cool. So much fun. She's the queen of information and translating it in (laughs) for different audiences to make sure that public health is consumable. It's wonderful to have this platform and to be able to get information out to people that's useful. Absolutely. Especially at this juncture in time. Yeah. If there's one thing that Julie and I have learned throughout the pandemic, it's really brought forth how much misinformation and information overload there is out there for many of us as it related to COVID, but just in general for arthritis, even before the pandemic. I think we went into 
at the Arthritis Foundation, quick mode to turn to focusing on making sure we got the correct information from the right people to share about the pandemic and COVID-19 in our community was certainly at a high risk of contracting it and so many unknowns in the beginning. Mm. It can be so hard to separate out fact from fiction and pick out credible sources of information. And so we're glad to have you and your experience (laughs) and your knowledge with us today, because that's one of the things we thought we should talk about on the podcast is how can our listeners know that they're getting information or reading information on the interwebs that (laughs) is credible. How do you know what you're reading is good information related to healthcare and how you manage your arthritis? In particular, for groups with chronic serious medical conditions like arthritis, it, it was a challenge, right? It was a challenge for everybody trying to find information and source through it. And one guidance we gave was to really look to those international and national rheumatology groups that were coming up with treatment guidelines and to, to really be proactive about making sure your doctor on the ground in your city mm-hmm. was in touch with those resources. This idea of false misinformation has been around for a long time. And, and it's not necessarily completely a fact or fiction situation. There's so much gray. I mean, it's easy Mm -hmm. to really take a slice of truth and misrepresent it or lose context and not understand what's relevant. So I I really appreciate being on here to share that. Really, even before we get into the details of this, I want to let people know they they really should relax and not put the onus on themselves Mm -hmm. that this is how difficult it is to find the health information. Because health literacy is, you know, the term used yeah. for finding the health information, you know, and that it involves even knowing what questions to ask and then right. understanding the information and then deciding what you're going to act on, right? There's three steps there. And, and under those three steps are so many. I'll compare it to financial literacy. You could have a degree in economics. But that doesn't mean you know how to buy a house or how to get a mortgage or how to get the best competitive mortgage, right? Mm -hmm. Like it just doesn't correlate. And it's the same thing with health. We have to take some time to understand and learn about what a healthy body is. If we're going to understand what a body with those problems are. When you're with your doctor, you're often having to really look at the risks and benefits of different options. They're telling you, you could do this, you could do that. This is what will happen. This is what your risks are. But you have to have some basic understanding of statistics to do that. And who's taken a statistics class, right? Give yourself grace that you can't be expected to know all this and to have just picked it up along the way just because, you know, your mom put some Band-Aids on you when you were little. <laughs> really, that's like the extent of it for most people. So that that's two points. Another mm-hmm. is, is the emotion that comes with a chronic illness. Like if you're trying to navigate complicated health information and you're scared and confused, because it's a new diagnosis or it's a new stage of the diagnosis or it's your loved one, know that of course it's going to be challenging. And even the simple things are challenging. Like people are always going on about the lifestyle, you know, just eat healthier, right? (laughs) And sleep better, um, you know, whatever exercise, right? Self-care is complicated, especially if you have arthritis. So I just wanted to take a moment and really put it into context how complicated and the breadth of of Mm -hmm. the healthcare landscape for someone with arthritis. 
it can be so difficult to navigate and figure out, like you were saying, what are the right questions to ask? And who are the credible sources to look at when I am trying to answer them? When I'm stressed and when I'm flaring, I tend to have a really narrow and limited focus. I have so many spoons that I can allocate to this research question. And I know that I'm going, when I have to talk to my doctor, I have to be the advocate that knows at least some answer to them, which means that sometimes I latch on to the first thing I read and then that becomes the fact. And that's what I hold on to. And that's what I navigate with. But often what I realize at the end of it is that's not the whole picture and that we exist in this gray space and that we have to exist in the gray space and embrace it. It can be really hard to give yourself permission to have grace through that gray. So I appreciate that that's where we're opening this conversation because it empowers us to have a few more spoons as we're navigating and trying to find answers. You're not going to be an expert overnight. But if you do want to find some answers outside of the provider setting, you can do so and be empowered to do so with some of these, these tips that we'll talk through today. So I really, I appreciate that so much personally and in the broader scope yeah. of things. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I think you really broke that down well because health literacy is more than just understanding mm-hmm. the language of the disease. There's, right. and then the factors that, that can affect how you take in that information, the emotions, right? That's a huge part. It really is a huge part. And one of the things where I think like when you are in the doctor's office, especially mm-hmm. early in a diagnosis or you're having a new issue, I often feel like it's better if I have somebody with me to help right. digest that information. Because I know in the past when I've had something big going on that you know I didn't hear anything in my 20s, I had a cancer scare. I heard nothing she said after the word cancer. Right. But I had someone with me, a loved one with me at the time, who picked up on all of the things that I just tuned out to because all I heard was risk of cancer. And mm-hmm. so when you said that about, you know, in your emotions, when you're hearing these things and having mm-hmm. these conversations, like it's true. Like let's say you get a new diagnosis of psoriatic arthritis or ankylosing spondylitis or whatever it is, whatever type of arthritis. All you've just heard is, wait a minute, you just told me I got a diagnosis of a chronic disease that there is no cure for. Mm-hmm. So now I haven't heard the rest, right? I definitely tell people to go to their appointments with someone. So I take the piece of paper and, and I tell patients to do that. You got to write down the words that they're saying so you can look it up later. And then uh, feel free to look up the information or, or really be proactive and look up information beforehand mm-hmm. so that you come prepared with questions. And when you come to your appointment, come with an agenda. So if you do have something that seems a little offbeat, like it's not like what you're expecting from the conversation with your doctor, you can tell them at the beginning of the meeting of the appointment, hey, let's get through all the medical issues that we have to talk to, but could you save five to 10 minutes because I want to talk to you about something else. And then you can you know, stop Tell them what you're asking about. Maybe it's a research question. Maybe it's some you know, alternative or complementary therapy that you heard about. Mm-hmm. Let them know, put it in context that you, you know, sometimes if a doctor gets defensive, you know, hopefully you'll have built that relationship up. But this is not about instead of, this is along with, or what about, or is this false? I trust you, I've come to you. And then I'll mm-hmm. often even bring a one pager to hand over to say, hey, can we follow up on this by email, by phone call at the next appointment? Or is there 
a person I should be referred to? Or is there an expert who gives talks on this that I can go listen to on YouTube? Is there an organization that already writes articles about this topic that I can trust? And, and that helps kind of move along the process of getting through the usual things that need to get done in a doctor's mm-hmm. appointment, but then adding in that layer of, of new information. I really like that idea that you can go prepared with a document to share with your provider to say, I've been hearing about this, or I've been seeing something about this. Give me your thoughts. Because it shifts the paradigm of the doctor's appointment from a patient being there simply to receive care from their doctor, simply to receive information from their doctor to let's share this experience so that we can make decisions together and so that I can be a more informed participant in this setting. But I know that there are folks who feel nervous about what kind of document they should hand over to their provider. What if it's completely wonky news? What if it's misinformation? And my doctor doesn't want to build that partnership with me because they're rolling their eyes about this thing that I brought. All right. Overcoming chronic pain takes chronic strength. That's why in honor of Pain Awareness Month, the Arthritis Foundation has partnered with iHeartRadio to recognize the chronic strength champions who fight chronic pain every day and to celebrate their small wins by giving away one big trip. Enter to win a seven-night all-expenses-paid wellness retreat for two at Hilton Head Health in South Carolina, valued at $10,000. The winner will enjoy gourmet cuisine, exercise classes in a beautiful island setting, and much more. The Arthritis Foundation is boldly pursuing a cure for America's number one cause of disability while championing the fight to conquer arthritis with life-changing science, resources, advocacy, and community connections. So say yes to starting your wellness journey. Enter to win this once-in-a-lifetime trip at championsweepstakes.com and explore the Arthritis Foundation's tools and resources to help develop your chronic strength. That's championsweepstakes.com. Again, championsweepstakes.com. What are some things that we can look to to determine whether or not a source is credible or would be something good to talk to our provider about? So there is a quick checklist that you can can look to. So one is look at the about page of the source Mm -hmm. and see what their mission and purpose is. They might use the term consumer or patient or general public. And make, make sure that's in their mission and that their mission isn't to sponsor a specific treatment or a product. So mm-hmm. most .orgs are going to be on a mission to take care of a group of people. But there are .orgs that are really about a topic and a product. So that's something to differentiate. There are reliable .coms that you can look to like Everyday Health. And then there's the, what are the primary sources? So the CDC, so any government affiliated health sites that have .gov at the end. .edus mean they're affiliated with academic institutes and those are reliable. And then most medical journals, you can talk to your doctor and your peers to find out which journals are worthy of, of reading. And you can look at what's called an impact score. And that'll tell you whether it's what we call kind of and doctors speak a throwaway journal because <laughs> you should just throw it away versus <laughs> you know a respectable journal. So that's like sort of in that about us page. And then when you're actually looking at the article you're reading, you want to check for a date. So that tells you the last time it was updated. So you don't want to be reading something from 2000, right? Like, and especially if it's COVID related, you may want it to be within the last few weeks. So look at the date, look at the author. Is whoever wrote this 
and publishing it proud enough to put a name on it, you usually can click on that author and see what their qualifications are. Are they an established medical and science writer? Are they an MD or a PhD? Or in, if they're in the diet world, are they a registered dietitian? So you can check those kind of criteria in the author. Good articles, reputable sites will review their work and make sure it's reviewed by an expert in the field. So it may have Again, it may be a, a doctor, a pharmacist, a PhD, a registered dietitian. So you want to check to make sure someone has double-checked the article. They should also list sources. So you don't want to read about so-called facts when they can't tell you what study it came from or what government statistics they're pulling from to, to support what they're saying. So these are all things you can kind of take a quick glance around the content to tell what's credible. That is a really succinct way to just break it down. Thank you for sharing about the impact score because a lot of times people will say, oh wait, I saw this study in the news and there's so many types of studies out there. So if it's a meta-analysis or a systematic review, most people don't know what that is. Now, I had to learn a lot about that when I was in OT school. So I do know what that is. Sure. And so I have a different frame of mind when I read things and I'm looking for those meta-analysis type of studies and systematic reviews. Can you talk a little bit about the difference between those so that when people see those, they know what that is? When you're looking at research articles, you want to decide, are you looking for information that's going to give you general like health information, like the latest treatments with a consensus? So that would be the meta-analysis or a review article. Those are really nice to read. A lot of times there will be articles written based on those review articles. And then if you're looking at a specific study, you want to see if it's like, is it an actual human study versus an animal study? Right. What kind of research are they using? Are they putting it in context? When you're just reading an article to gain information and they mention a study, you can look at how they talk about the study to decide if, if the article is worthy of reading because they, they should tell you if it's a mouse study or if it's an early clinical trial study. Right. They should describe, is this an association versus a causation? You really want to kind of take that into account when you're reading these articles. And the other issue that comes up, and this is this is beyond research, but I want to throw it in while it's in my mind, is the personal experience versus fact. Because when you're reading a general article, you really have to differentiate between the person's experience and then evidence-based medicine. So right. for the most part, the majority of people with arthritis are really not going to be really diving into the research articles. They're going to be reading general articles. And those are the two big things to look for. Do they put the study in context and do they differentiate the patient experience from evidence-based medicine? Because there are incredible advocates out there that have inspiring stories that we can learn from. Mm -hmm. But we really have to, the good ones will talk about that without really bringing into whether one treatment's better than the other or really you know, putting out to others that they should have the same medical experience they did. Yeah, I am so glad that you mentioned that because I think throughout our conversation, we're talking about sources and research and peer-reviewed medical journals and so on. I know that the way that patients learn, especially in my age group, young adults, 
tends not to be in searching on Google Scholar to find the research paper or the article. A lot of times it's searching a hashtag on Instagram. And that journey takes you through to maybe find an advocate who has a similar story to yours, who really found success with exercise or with a certain treatment or something. And that can often inform your opinion of something. So how do you suggest for folks who are really consuming information that way, the social media medicine, Mm -hmm. what are some ways that we can identify good, solid information from there when we're informing our own health journey or experience or conversations with our doctor? I think the key is to always remember that the advocates really appear experiencing the same thing, living through life the way you are. And if they talk about something, to then go back and do the research on a respected website for that baseline information so you can get an understanding of the big picture of the topic, right? Whether Mm -hmm. it's exercise and the full spectrum of exercise, understanding the strength training, the building aerobics, as well as flexibility. And then layering on that, the nuances that come with having arthritis. So once you get into that, then, and you have a, you know, feel like you have a strong understanding of that and that you're putting into action elements that address all of that. Then you can start diving into details. And that's where that Google search may come into play. Try to stick to articles that are like Rebecca, you had mentioned earlier, that are maybe review articles. You can actually limit the date on Google to say within, um, you know, two years. Is sort of a standard time frame. Um, if it's something related to COVID, again, it might be one month. Go read that review article. The sort of stellar articles that are over the course of the past 30, 40 years related to your illness will be in the source list of that new article. So you can go back and see kind of the articles that really are the basis of the current clinical treatment guidelines. And then don't get lost in that. Look to see what experts have written about it because generally in all the major journals like New England Journal of Medicine or JAMA, they'll have an expert come in and comment on the study. And it's a one pager. So even that's going to be complicated, but at least it summarizes that information. If you really want to just dive into the article, some rules for diving into the article. The first thing is to look at that abstract. That's where the gist of the information is. Often you don't have to go past the abstract because in the abstract, you find out what the purpose of the study is. So you can think, does that purpose have anything to do with me? You can find out who was in the study. Again, is it older adults who are all white males in Northern Europe? For me as a woman of color, maybe it'll be relevant, maybe not, but I can at least sort of kind of take that into context. Or is it mice, right? Right. (laughs) Was this a trial for safety versus a trial for treatment? So you can look at all that. And then the discussion section, I I usually skip all the statistics. But when I'm looking at an article, I I run through and I do that abstract. And then I jump to the introduction of the article because that gives you that background information Mm -hmm. that grounds that particular study Mm and the whole big picture of the research on that particular treatment. There's always a section in a good study that says everything that they didn't quite, they can't quite prove because they couldn't answer these questions. And all of that comes in that discussion section. So through that, you can get a lot of information and decide what's relevant for you. I really rely on the studies that have made it through the peer review journals and actually 
impact clinical treatment guidelines. So I would say what's most important is to look at the latest clinical treatment guidelines that are being published by the American College of Rheumatology or you know other similar organizations specific to your type of arthritis. Because that's when all the experts got together in a room, looked through all the research trials, and came up with a consensus statement of how treatment should be. And that's really what your local doctor is looking to or should be looking to. This could be very overwhelming to listen to and think, I don't even know what to look for or how to find a scholarly article. Those things can be hard. The Arthritis Foundation actually uh, has partnered with the American College of Rheumatology on a handful of clinical guidelines in osteoarthritis and juvenile idiopathic arthritis and for just arthritis patients who are navigating the coronavirus pandemic, whether it comes to the vaccine or treatment options throughout, if you do become sick with coronavirus, what you should do from there. Really, these guidelines, they work for the majority of patients, right? right? It's only the ones in the most extreme, severe, immediate threat to life situations where Mm. you're really going to start looking at information that hasn't yet made it into the clinical treatment guidelines. But it sounds like the general sentiment is be curious and it's okay to be mm-hmm. curious. But if you see Absolutely. that Instagram post from someone in your community, maybe don't end the research there. Maybe Absolutely. let that be the beginning, the starting point that inspires a lot of additional searches and conversations with your doctor and conversations with other peers in your community about what might work for you in your unique individual circumstance. The Arthritis Foundation couldn't do awesome things without your support. Your donation fuels our powerful movement to advance arthritis research and resources like this podcast and much more. Every dollar makes a difference. Give a gift now at arthritis.org slash donate. had a rheumatologist once many years ago who wrote an article and op-ed and had it framed in their in their doctor's office and it was a an article that talked about it encouraged patients not to google search their symptoms or not to google search treatments or not to do anything like that because when they came into their medical provider's office that's where those conversations should happen no doctor google basically was the premise of this article And I remember sitting in this doctor's office and I'm 18 years old. I'm just transitioned into adult care and I'm looking at this article on the wall and then I'm looking at my doctor and thinking, gosh, I feel really inhibited about what I can bring up, what I can, how I can navigate this conversation. For folks who are in rheumatology settings like that, how would you encourage them to navigate around those conversations or what other solutions might be available for for patients as they figure out what to do? Yeah, I mean, I hate that this kind of story isn't as rare as it should be because I think that, I mean, I think it's a tough situation. You should feel comfortable with your doctor and it should be a partnership where um, you're expected and and encouraged and supported to be proactive about Mm -hmm. understanding your health and um, your healthcare options and the breadth, like we discussed earlier, of what health means, right? It's not just about medical treatment in the you know in settings of infusions and surgeries mm-hmm. right there's so much self care 
lifestyle management is critical. It's absolutely critical to preventing complications. I would say that if after the first few conversations you can't get past it, then then maybe you need a different person. Mm-hmm. You have yeah. to be proactive. I've heard mm-hmm. about this, and this is what I understand. Is this appropriate for me? And leave it as an open-ended question. And who would you go to? How would you handle this mm-hmm. angle? And don't be afraid to bring up finances. That's a critical part of healthcare. So mm-hmm. they may be able to have you speak to their manager about costs and programs to mm-hmm. cut costs. You know, they're not thinking like you need a coupon or maybe you should try this drug first because that one's going to be cheaper for you. You really have to bring it up and then have again that sometimes that piece of paper that documents the data so they don't forget about it and you hand it to them to follow up. I would really encourage people to do that. I like to think of it in a couple of buckets when you're talking to your doctor about your options. One is the do nothing option, right? Like you just do nothing. And so that's probably never a great idea. But if you're frozen in fear of your doctor or overwhelmed by the content you're reading online or all the stuff people are throwing at you in person and on social media, you can fall in that category. Let them know you're trying to get out of the do nothing mode. Then you want to be able to kind of critically look at what they're saying. And by critical, I mean thoughtfully, not good and bad. Are they a conservative doctor? Are they an aggressive doctor? Does that fit what you need and want from your personality as well as your medical situation? And acknowledging that with them based on what you've read and kind of challenging them. So I think this is the conservative approach. Is that true? (laughs) Or what I'm hearing is you saying that these are my two best options. Is this true? This is what I've read and this is what I hear from you. And that online reading can help you support that conversation. The third is recognizing, again, the impact of lifestyle and self-care. So bringing in, you know, I'm really struggling with my sleep and I know rest is important. What else? And then the last is looking at those complementary therapies and making sure that they agree that it is actually complementary, right? And understanding that you're looking for complementary therapies. I think the the central theme of that question, the reason I, I wanted to include it in our discussion today is that when I was 18, I didn't know that I could push back or say, right. even though you're saying this, this is what I know, can we have a discussion about it? Or that I could look for a new provider when we were not clicking. I think having those reminders of when you're in a provider's office, it is absolutely okay. You should feel incredibly empowered to ask the questions that you have that it's your space to be in. It's not just your provider space to walk in and do the show of here I am and here's your biological medical advice and off I go into the abyss. Like, no, you are there to have a conversation with your provider and it can take a long time to figure out the right language to do that. And I love the kind of pathway that you gave us from the do nothing to the let's talk about everything from medicine to complementary therapies to lifestyle changes and so on. Because the second that a patient realizes that those conversations can be on the table, I think it changes the paradigm of the patient experience. It certainly did for me. And I, I have seen it do the same for many others. Yeah. And I think that just gives it a great baseline for yeah. a lot of our listeners of this is what a doctor's appointment should look like, right? 
And even though, Julie, you share the story about being 18 and feeling that way, I know hearing so many stories from people over the years that it can be somebody who's my age, a little older, a little, maybe a lot older, but like (laughs) who just feel like they are just stuck with that doctor. Right. I see lots of threads in conversations and support groups online where people are saying, gosh, my doctor just doesn't listen to me and doesn't understand. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I have a great rheumatologist and have a great relationship. And she knows if I come to an appointment with a list, she knows, all right, let's get to the list first. Yeah, let's get down (laughs) to business. Then we'll talk about the other things later. But also the fact that you brought up financial too. That's not something I think people think about either. I've had those conversations. At one point when my insurance changed, my copay went to be twice as much to see her. Mm. But I was in a pretty decent, stable state with my RA. And so I said, can I not come every other month? I feel like I'm okay. I mean, I'll still go do my labs. But to pay $80 on top of my medicine copays and my other doctor visits for other specialists, I'm like, it's becoming a lot for me. And she's like, yeah, totally. You know, if we see that your labs are out of whack and or you're having issues, you know, you can always come in sooner. And so having that conversation, having the conversation about the copay too, Mm -hmm. like, you know what? We switched my medication and now they just told me it's going to cost twice as much. I can't afford that. And so we looked into it and the office person in charge of authorizations helped me get set up with a drug assistance program. Take that list. I love it. Take (laughs) that list with you. Make sure you cover all the topics that are important to managing your disease. All the things you might've seen or somebody threw at you on social, like, hey, have you tried this? Have you tried this? Put that on your list. What do you think about this? How would that fit in my current treatment plan? It takes years to get to that point. I know that. But just know that you are empowered to do that from day one, right? Mm -hmm. As soon as your doctor says, This is an issue. Here's a problem. If you don't understand what they're saying, you're your best advocate. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think it's important to to really, you know, really think of your doctor as a as a partner. Mm -hmm. It's a really good way to prioritize all the health topics. I really want to stress how important it is to to do all this research, but then to take, you know, make sure you leave time to actually act on everything. And follow through with the exercise plan and the diet plan and follow through with those second opinions and all the follow all, all the many, many appointments. So not to drown and and lose time researching too much, actually. Yeah. One um, thing at a time. Yeah. Check out the Arthritis Foundation's new app called Vim to help people with arthritis gain power over their pain. The app features expert educational content, a goal and activity tracker, and opportunities to connect with others. It'll help you set attainable goals and achieve small wins that add up to big victories. Download the app at arthritis.org slash VIM, spelled V-I-M. Well, I think this has been such a great, very helpful conversation, Dr. Arifa. So usually at the end of our podcast, we always like to ask what maybe your three top takeaways would be for our listeners from our conversation today. So do you have some takeaways you'd like to share? 
Sure. I mean, it's been my pleasure talking with you. I can talk about this all day long. <laughs> I, I really want to stress that online health information is a way to empower you. And it's, and it's really necessary in all spectrums of your health and wellness and your medical conditions. But it's, at the end of the day, it's a way to assist real life. And don't spend as much time chasing the latest minute research that may or may not make a small impact. Really, really look to the information that's already been proven in trials with you know, those hundreds of thousands of individuals that's already part of standard medical care. And use all of that to prep for your doctor's appointment and to think about your doctor's appointment after the fact. You should always spend time before and after the doctor's appointment reviewing your notes looking up information and keeping a notebook catalog of what's happening or you know do it on your phone so that you can reinforce and follow through on what the doctor and you have discussed and then the third is really remembering that health is this big picture of lifestyle and medical treatment and prevention is absolutely critical and doing the basics with diet and sleep and rest and exercise and physical therapy, occupational therapy, wound care, all of that. That's awesome. Yeah. It's been so wonderful to talk to you today and just have that reminder to be curious. So we really appreciate it. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, you're welcome. It's been my pleasure. This Live Yes with Arthritis podcast was brought to you by the trusted experts of the Arthritis Foundation. We're bringing together leaders in the arthritis community to help you make a difference in your own life in ways that make sense. You may have arthritis, but it doesn't have you. The content in this episode was developed independently by the Arthritis Foundation. To download our new VIM pain management app, visit arthritis.org slash VIM spelled V-I-M. For podcast episodes and show notes, go to arthritis.org slash Podcast and stay in touch 